session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Afternoon and welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number 310-441-0555. The book of the week for this week that I'll talk about on Wednesday's show, a programming note again, Monday is Martin Luther King Jr. holiday here in the United States, so we won't be doing live programming and I won't be doing my show that night, so I'll be doing my Wednesday show next week where I'll talk about the book 21 Lessons for the 21st Century by Yuval Noah Harari. Uh, he's the author of the book Sapiens and Homo Deus, which were both really good books. I only read Sapiens, but heard good things about the other one. Uh, but this one is 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. Looking forward to sharing that with you next week. I wanted to start off the show today to talk about a new ad that came out that has been getting a lot of both support and outrage and just a lot of attention. The ad was created by Gillette, the company that makes things like razors and shaving cream mostly and things like that. Uh, and it's a ad that in a way is attacking or talking about toxic masculinity. And so you can imagine any ad that addresses these types of topics, feminism, toxic masculinity, masculinity, sexual harassment, tends to get a lot of attention because it can be controversial and there's people on both sides who can be very passionate about it. So this ad was no different. Now, in the ad, you see different types of things and their tagline has always been Gillette, the best a man could get. And the way they're playing on that um, slogan, as in the best a man can get, almost like the best a man can be. And talking about masculinity and the ways that toxic masculinity and men um, can act can be harmful to themselves and to others. So you see things related to sexual harassment in the advertisement about bullying. Um, there's also a few seconds where you see a bunch of men lined behind grills and they're saying boys will be boys, will be boys, will be boys, which is one of those common lines you hear that use at times to excuse bad behavior, aggressive behavior, um, violent behavior even at times of boys or even men to say boys will be boys meaning that it in some way is okay if they act that way um, and so lots of opponents or people who did not like the ad say that it is attacking men um, making men feel bad about themselves or for being men at all and lots of people in favor of it think this is great to talk about toxic masculinity because the end of the ad it shows um, children and saying that these boys who are now watching men today, they will later become the men of the future. And so it's important how we show them how to be a man. And so I liked the ad. And of course, um, when I see an ad like this, I, I did think it's good and it's a good message and it's important, but it doesn't mean to me that 
uh, we should give Gillette so much praise. It reminds me of when Nike had their ads in support of Colin Kaepernick. I think that was really good, but I think at the same time, many uh, of these decisions are made more from a business standpoint than just the social side of things. But nonetheless, I think it is a good ad that's out there. And it's a good ad for them too, because it's creating a lot of discussion, which is what you want is for people to be talking about your advertisement. Um, But I did want to talk about toxic masculinity or masculinity in general, and how I think we do have to look at what it is. And many people will of course, are talking about these issues, but I thought it was a good chance because it is in the news and causing so much of a buzz to talk about this issue yet again. So the flip side of talking about masculinity, which really isn't the flip side because it's very much related, is to talk about feminism. And uh, I had the book last year, uh, Everyone Should Be a Feminist by Chimamande Ngozi Adichie, And as the title suggests, everyone should be a feminist, and I wholeheartedly agree with that statement, because feminism, although it sometimes gets seen as a bad word, where people think it means you're against men or anti-men, or that you want men to become women, or you want women to have more power than men, what feminism really means is to have equality between women and men, for women to have the same rights and opportunities as men. And it doesn't mean sameness. It doesn't mean that women have to be men and men have to be women. It just means equality, meaning that you get treated the same with the same level of respect. You have the same opportunities. And to me, these issues of feminism and toxic masculinity and being masculine, being feminine, there are ways that we can try to define things. But for me, it's always about giving every human being the flexibility and the opportunity to be themselves, whoever they want to be, however they want to be. And even the ways we sometimes define traits as masculine and feminine can change over time. Uh, For example, one aspect of toxic masculinity that people will talk about is that men don't get the opportunity to be vulnerable or they're discouraged from being vulnerable, from being emotional, especially from crying. Even actually, I don't like to say emotional because... When we think of being quote-unquote emotional, we think of crying and sadness, but anger is a very emotional state, and it's something that's actually accepted or even encouraged for men to be. But nonetheless, men are discouraged from crying, for example. But throughout history, this wasn't always the case. Sometimes it was actually seen as a sign of strength that a man would cry about important things. But right now, in today's society, especially in, let's say, American society, it is very often not seen as masculine and strong for a man to cry. And so a man should maybe be ashamed of it. They should hide it. They shouldn't cry if they feel like it. Uh, They'll be made fun of. It's actually something I see people making fun of, even liberal people who might think they're more on the feminist side of things. They'll still make fun of a man when he cries. It could still be seen as funny. And you'll see memes online and people um, making fun of someone when it's a man who cries. And I think that's very unfortunate because men are not given that opportunity to express themselves, to be vulnerable and to be human. So to me, these discussions of masculinity, femininity, feminism, a lot of it comes down to the understanding that what we want to do is to remove the barriers that are there that get in the way of people being themselves. So you can be born a male 
but maybe you want to act a certain way that might seem more female to some, but you should have that right and that opportunity. That's your choice to act as you'd like. You don't have to act a certain way or not act a certain way, but you have that opportunity. And you can be a woman who wants to act more masculine, or you can be a woman who wants to act in the, what is considered a traditional female or feminine way, and you should be given that opportunity and not be judged by it or for it or been, be told you have to be a different way. So for me, we want to look at these issues as giving people the opportunity to be themselves and to express themselves and to express all aspects of themselves. We tend to think of man, masculine, female, feminine, but we know that everyone has both aspects or has these different traits within them. And giving each individual that flexibility is important. So, for example, you can be a very tough man, and maybe that'll be good for you at your job or in certain aspects of your job. But then if you come home and you have a baby, hopefully you can tap into a more nurturing side to be there. And if someone thinks of nurturing as more feminine, you should be able to tap into that side because that's what's asked of you in that moment. So we want to give people the opportunity to be themselves and be whoever they want to be, but also give each individual the flexibility to express different sides of themselves when the um, environment or whatever it is in front of them asks them to be different aspects of themselves or express different aspects of themselves. And so for me, this is very important for people to keep this in mind when we have these discussions, that when we talk about masculinity, toxic masculinity, we're not trying to attack men or tell men they should be women or be like females or be soft or be this or be that. You can still be yourself. But let's look at if there are any harmful aspects to how we're promoting different stereotypes or gender roles that can be harmful. And you definitely see this. Uh, for men, they feel that they, as I mentioned before, shouldn't be vulnerable or that they shouldn't care about women in certain ways in very toxic masculine environments. Uh, you'll hear men showing off about how little they care about the women that they date or they sleep with. And if a man expresses feeling strong feelings and emotions for a woman, they'll be treated really bad and made fun of and teased about it like it's something really bad, even though it's something very healthy and good and normal. And to not feel those things is actually more childlike than manlike. But you'll get that message that you shouldn't really care about the woman in your life. That's a, a stronger place to be than to not care about them um, or that you should be aggressive and make sure things go your way and not be flexible and again a big one for me is not being allowed to be vulnerable because i see this play out in relationships where in romantic relationships the man feels like he can't express himself when it comes to being hurt being upset being sad feeling maybe even weak and because of that instead of expressing sadness or expressing vulnerability, he's much more likely to express it as anger or aggression and take it out in that way. If he even expresses it at all, he might try to numb it with alcohol or drugs or any other way to make himself not feel those feelings that he thinks are unacceptable. So the price of masculinity doesn't just affect women. It definitely does. When we have toxic masculinity, it affects women in many ways, from sexual harassment to uh, different types of discrimination, but it also affects men as well. So to me, feminism isn't just about helping women, it's about helping all of society. First of all, we help women by giving them more opportunities, which also then helps all of society because when we give any aspect of the population more opportunities, more ability to 
make a difference in the world, everyone benefits. And in this case, we're talking about 50% of the population. And then on the other hand, you have uh, the opportunity gives men to then also be in touch with their feminine side or just to be themselves more as well. So to me, challenging toxic masculinity, it's not about challenging masculinity itself, but challenging toxic masculinity's harmful aspects is very important and something that's worth talking about and worth working on. And I also think it's important when we think of these things, not just to blame one segment of the population. I do feel like when it comes to toxic masculinity, yes, men probably have to do more of the work to make the change, but women have to be involved as well. Just like feminism involves not just women, but also men, everyone should be a feminist, everyone needs to be involved. When we're challenging toxic masculinity, we have to make sure women are involved as well, because it's not just men that perpetuate these stereotypes. Women at times can be this way too, thinking that a man shouldn't cry, for example. I've heard that before from women, that it is weak for a man to cry or it makes him not attractive anymore. So it's not just men that are continuing these things. Men often will do what they think will make them more attractive to women. So if women are not attracted to something or if they get that message, they'll put those parts of themselves away to act a different way. So it's up to both men and women to make these changes. But especially to the men, think about how you are affected by toxic masculinity. Usually it's one of those things that we don't realize how it is affecting you, how you think you should be and how you think you shouldn't be. And I do like the message that it gives of how you act as a man. Boys are watching you and they're going to learn how to be and not to be. And we hope to teach them to become the best a man can be, as the ad itself says, to become a loving man, not a man who's going to hurt others or think he has to put others down to feel good about himself. A man who can respect others, who can respect women and still feel like a man. These are all important things that we hopefully will all recognize the importance of, but then also want to teach and model for the next generations to come. So you can check out the ad. It's really um, all over the internet right now, the Gillette ad, uh, which looks at toxic masculinity, and you'll see a host of people supporting it and a host of people who are outraged and very upset about it. And I'd be happy to hear your opinions on the issue too, whether you want to reach out on the show or send it to me on social media. All right, going to our first commercial break, studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dulakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Very often people will ask me, what's the most important characteristic to have in a partner uh, when they're looking for a romantic relationship? And we're always wondering, what are we supposed to look for very often we're not sure if we should trust our instincts of how we're feeling with someone or we think, what if I don't know what to look for? What's the right things to look for? And I don't know if there's exactly one right thing. I've, I've talked before about this idea of different one things that might be important. And so there's probably a few of them. But one that's very important for your partner, but also for you to look at the compatibility between you and your partner is how you relate to your feelings and how you deal with feelings and how you want to deal with issues related to feelings. Now, many people say feelings, what's that? They don't even want to talk about them. They don't want to think about them or feel them, especially. And so that is one 
extreme or one type of person. And so if you are that type of person, first of all, there's a good chance you might not be listening to the show to begin with. But anyway, if you are, um, I hope you will try to get in touch with those feelings and be aware that they have a lot of value and meaning. Um, but you likely will want to be with someone who sees feelings the same way. But overall, we want to make sure there is a compatibility on how we deal with our emotions and our partner wants to deal with them as well. So if you're someone who can feel sensitive and likes to be in touch with your feelings and likes to talk about feelings, you really want to make sure you are with someone and you find someone who is the same way. And vice versa, if you're someone who doesn't really want to talk much about feelings and wants to more experience things and, and not get into the emotions too deeply, then you want to find someone who's the same way. Because the problem comes when there's a mismatch. So when there's one person who wants to share their feelings, wants to express their feelings, and they want their partner to listen and validate their feelings and also to share theirs back. And the clashes start to come when one person tries to bring them up. And of course, the other person who is very uncomfortable, doesn't like talking about the feelings, is going to shoot the person down and make them feel either bad about talking about the feelings, uh, make them get upset about it, do something that's not going to be very good. Because there's no way to find if you're compatible on every issue. That's just not possible and you don't need to be. You're going to have different preferences and different tastes and you're going to want to do different things and have different interests. That's all good and fine because you're two different people and you need to even be different in lots of ways and you will be. But what's important is how are you going to address the issues when they come up? Because inevitably in any relationship, we know they will. If you are going to get close to someone, if you actually allow yourself to get close, you're going to start to have some level of disagreements and Feelings are going to get more intense and because of that, feelings are more likely to get hurt as well because you feel things more deeply and are affected more by your partner. So things are going to come up. So you have to be ready to face issues and address different things. But it's how are we going to talk about things when they come up? And if you can find someone who is compatible with you in this way, it's really, really important and it's something that you should hold on to because with that, you can overcome almost any issue that comes your way or you're going to be much more capable of withstanding the forces that come from the outside the stresses of life financial um, losses whatever else that you go through but also the internal within your relationship because there's going to be ups and downs there as well but having that confidence that you and i together we can work through things that is very, very important. And this is why there's kind of a cliche thing that people will say um, that you don't know what you've got in a relationship till you've had your first fight. And it is a little bit cliche, but like lots of cliches, there is some truth to that or a lot of truth to that, in my opinion, because until you've had that first fight, first of all, a few things. One is you probably won't have that first fight until a little bit into the relationship. So at the beginning, it's hard to know what you have anyway. But when you have that first fight, that means that, first of all, you're seeing what's one of the issues or some of the issues you're going to deal with. But more importantly, you're going to see how you're going to deal with the issues. And there's a few things for people to be aware of when it comes to having these arguments or having discussions and about how they and their partner need to be compatible or at least be aware of each other. One big thing I've noticed is there can be differences in how people express themselves. And one big way of that is even volume, which might sound funny, but 
it really is the case where you'll see two people, husband and wife, and that one one person will think, well, she was so mad she was yelling. And then she might think, no, that's just how we talk in my family. I was just talking to you. I wasn't even that angry or upset. So because they can have different experiences of what it's like to talk and express oneself and to have a discussion, they can have a very different experience of what's going on. So for one of them, it's just like, oh, yeah, we just had to talk about what happened yesterday. And for the other one, it could feel like a huge fight where my partner was so mad at me and it was really ugly and horrible. So you want to be aware of your own history, but then understand the history of your partner to see how you maybe have experienced this differently. How did people fight in your family? Was it heated and loud and intense? Or was it more calm and maybe passive aggressive or people held things in? What was it like to have an argument in your family? Did people even have arguments in your family? That can be very important to understand about you and your partner. So you make sure, one, hopefully you're compatible, but even if you're not, you can possibly overcome it if you do have enough of an understanding where you can meet in the middle or at least have an understanding of where the other person is coming from. So that is very important. And another one related to what I was just saying is how willing the person is to have the discussions, how conflict avoidant is your partner and how conflict avoidant are you or how likely are you to embrace conflict? Some people are very okay saying, okay, I didn't like this. Let's talk about it. Whereas for other people, that's a huge deal. They get very uncomfortable. They don't want to have those kinds of conversations and they're going to avoid them at any costs. They're going to never find a good time to have that conversation themselves to initiate it. And they probably will discourage you from having or bringing up any issue as well. So you want to see how much on the same page you and your partner on are about bringing up conflict or having a conflict. And I'll mention something that is an old piece of advice that although this one is also cliche to me has a lot of untruth to it, which is that people will say, well, you got to pick your battles when it comes to almost any relationship, but especially in marriage. Some people say, you know, the, the, the basic thing of making a marriage work or the secret to making a marriage work is to pick your battles. Don't bring up lots of little things to your partner and upset them. But the research is showing us almost exactly the opposite that we can say there's a threshold that needs to be passed for you to bring something up. So if something bothers you just like a one out of 10, you might not bring it up. But if it bothers you past the five out of 10, you will. And really they find that the couples who their threshold is lower actually have healthier and happier marriages. And this can sound counterintuitive. You think, well, that means they're having lots of fights and they're bringing up lots of things. Yes, they are having more discussions that might be slightly unpleasant or uncomfortable in the moment, but they're doing a few things. One is they're sharing them before they become too big. The problem of picking your battles is you hold in the battles and then you have a big war together. And that's a big problem. So you don't bring up something small, you don't bring up something small, you don't bring up something small, but then it becomes too much and you have a really ugly fight or you're much more likely to have an ugly fight. Whereas on the other hand, if you bring it up when it's small, you can take care of a small problem a lot easier. So you don't let things build up and become big problems. And that's usually how it is. I can't tell you how many times people will come into therapy and they say, you know, I was dating this person or when we first got married, this issue was there, but I thought it's going to go away. It'll probably get better. It'll probably get better when we get married or when we move in or when we have our first kid. And they almost always will see that, no, that's not the case. The problems you have 
tend not to disappear or become worse. They are become less. They tend to become worse and stronger because the relationship becomes more intense and because whatever the issue is keeps happening. So the resentment or the tension is going to build up. So you have to face the issues when they are there. And if you're avoiding them and you're thinking, I have to wait until it becomes like a 10 out of 10 for me to bring something up, you're not going to be able to prevent a lot of problems from developing. Uh, last week, I used the analogy of going to get a teeth cleaning and you go get that regular checkup because they take out the plaque and the buildup and things that are there before it develops into something more serious, not because you enjoy the process of having metal things poked around your mouth, but because it's going to lead to a better relationship in the long run. And that's the other part. By having discussions, by having arguments even, if they're done in the right way, you're actually going to make the relationship stronger. And this is something that you maybe have experienced, but sometimes it can sound counterintuitive that a fight will make your relationship stronger. But it absolutely is the case. Because if you are expressing things that upset you, First of all, you're communicating to your partner your feelings. You're communicating to your partner what you are experiencing in the relationship. And you can understand what they're experiencing as well. And you could do a few things. One is you can prevent whatever this thing that is hurting you from happening more because you've communicated about it. And you can resolve it in a way that makes you feel closer to one another. People tend to feel very close to each other if they've resolved a fight very well. Um, if they've apologized, if they felt understood, if they felt like there's a resolution, if they felt like they're moving forward. And this is why so often people have very good makeup sex after they have an argument on top of the fact that their aggression and lots of other things are coming to the surface when they are having the argument. But you feel even closer to your partner once you've had this argument resolved. There's a closeness that comes and there really is a building that happens when you have a healthy argument and discussion. So if you have that argument with respect, and this is such an important thing, I can't uh, overestimate or overemphasize how important this is. You always should respect your partner. You can be mad at your partner. You can be so furious with them and unhappy with them. But to disrespect them in any way is only going to hurt you, hurt them, and hurt the relationship. So when people sometimes think, well, in the middle of a fight, if you say, F you and you say this and you cuss out their mom and dad or do this and that. It doesn't matter because it's in the middle of a fight. You are angry. No, that's not the case. Poison is poison no matter when it comes out or when it affects someone. So be aware of the things you say even in the midst of a very heated fight and be aware of what your partner does and says in the midst of a fight. If it seems like for them they think anything goes if you're having an argument, be mindful that this could be something that will just continue and get worse. And very often what you see happen is that the other partner starts to do it too. If someone starts disrespecting you enough during a fight and you're getting angry with them in the middle of the fight, you're likely to unfortunately stoop down to their level. And now it just becomes the culture of your relationship that you both say these disrespectful things to each other every time you fight and you kind of accept it, but it's still having this negative effect. And I can't tell you the number of times I've worked with couples and one of them will remember something that their partner said five years ago in a fight that just stung so deep that they can't get over it. And you might even ask that partner and they say, you know what, when I said it, I didn't even really mean it. I was just so mad. I wanted to say something to make him hurt, which is sometimes what happens in a fight when we get that way. It's like, we just want to hurt the other person. So I don't even mean it or think it's true, but I just said it. 
And the analogy I use for this is that you can't take back a bullet. Once a bullet has been fired out of a gun, it's out, and the damage it's going to be doing is going to get done. You can't stop it, you can't pull it back, and you can't make it not hurt the other person. And you can't stop the damage from still being there, unfortunately. So be aware that your words can, of course, be so kind and loving to your partner, but they can also be like a bullet or a sword that cuts them deep. And sometimes those wounds don't heal. So even if you're having a fight, you're still responsible for what you say. People will sometimes think, well, we were in the middle of a fight, so I'm not to blame for what I said. Absolutely not. Just like if you're having a fight and you become violent, that's still on you. Or if you break things or if you do something else that's aggressive, it's still your responsibility for what you have done during that fight, no matter how angry you were. If you listen to me enough, you know that I'm very big on people being in touch with their feelings. That's wonderful. Be in touch with your feelings, but it doesn't mean you're entitled to do whatever you want because of your feelings. I'm angry. How can I best express my anger that does at least the least damage, but maybe communicates how I feel? I don't want to create any damage, but express myself. That's important. But not I'm angry, so I can do whatever I want now. So that's a big one for uh, looking uh, for a partner is someone who even during the argument, even during the fight, even if it does get heated, expresses themselves in a way that's not hurtful and harmful and can manage their own anger even in those moments. doesn't feel like because I'm so angry, I'm entitled to do whatever I want. That's not going to be okay. So when you're having these arguments, pay attention to yourself too. Don't just look at them. Be aware of how you can improve in being a better partner for um for these types of arguments and even ask your partner, what did you like or not like? You can have kind of like a postmortem after the fact of what happened, what did we do? Try to understand the patterns of your arguments because most couples tend to have patterns in how they argue. It's almost like they have a script and once the fight starts, they both start reading from their script. And you've probably experienced this yourself where you have the same kind of fights over and over again. So we want to try to get an understanding of the patterns and also see how we can change them. And recognize that when you have arguments, it's not just one person's fault. It's our fault or our responsibility together. And it's our responsibility to make a change together. It's not just going to change on its own or it's not going to just change from one person changing it. It's like a dance that you're doing together. So just one of you changing the steps won't work. You both have to change the steps together to find a new pattern. But really be aware of when you're dating someone, getting to know them, how they make you feel during the discussions? How do you feel they they treat the arguments that you're having and they respond and behave during them? And as I mentioned before, if you find someone that makes you feel good, even in an argument, or makes you feel good when you're expressing yourself and sharing some feelings that might not feel comfortable for you, or you might even be embarrassed or ashamed about or feel like you shouldn't be feeling them. If you have a partner that gives you that good feeling that helps you feel validated and nurtured and cared for even in those moments, that is really, really important and something that I think almost anyone would value because that's when you need it the most. When you're feeling your most vulnerable, when you're feeling like you're sharing something that's difficult, that's when it's so important for your partner to make you feel like it's okay for you to feel the way you're feeling. It's okay for you to express that and I'm going to treat that with respect and let's see what we can do to make things better. That really is very, very important. All right, let's go into our next commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back.
wanted to talk about parenting in this next segment. I've talked about the book um, No Drama Discipline by Daniel Siegel and Bryson. A very good book, as I mentioned, Monday night. Highly recommended to anyone who uh, works with kids in any way, especially to parents, but teachers, coaches, even if you're a family member. I just think it's a very good book looking at behavior in general. It could also be applied to adults as well, not just to uh, working with kids. But it made me want to talk about another aspect, and it was touched upon in the book. Sometimes people think you either have to be really hard on kids and you got to punish them and make them feel bad about what they're doing. That's the only way they will learn. And they feel that the other extreme that people want to do is to be very soft on them and to let them get away with whatever they want, no matter what, always say yes to them and just be soft on them. And there definitely is something in between. And to me, that's the healthy medium that we should be looking for. And related to that, I wanted to talk about something I've coined the pain prevention philosophy of parenting that many parents have, where they think their job as a parent is to make sure their child never feels any kind of pain or discomfort. So if they have a choice between pain and no pain, they always will choose no pain. Now, of course, we want to prevent our child from having or facing unnecessary fear. So their basic needs need to get met. If they get hurt, we want to take care of them and make sure they are okay in any way that we can. So, of course, we're not trying to, I'm not saying in any way, promote their pain or allow them to feel pain and not care about it. But if we use discomfort or pain as our decision maker, what we're also going to do is take away a lot of opportunities for growth for our child. Because growth almost only comes through some kind of discomfort or at least some kind of change has to be experienced, which isn't always going to feel good, but that's how they grow. So to give you an example, um, sometimes a kid hasn't done their homework. And so they start their homework late or they had a project that was due and they never worked on it. And if you come from the pain prevention philosophy of parenting, you think, okay, my only job as a parent is to make sure my child's homework or their project gets done so that when he or she goes to school tomorrow, they don't feel pain or discomfort of not having the work done so they feel okay and to reduce their stress tonight. So coming from that mindset, they just think I have to do whatever I have to do to get this done. And a lot of times parents will work on the project with their child and even at some point the child might fall asleep and then the parent is left working on the project themselves and maybe even making sure they write it or they draw in a way that looks like it's an eight-year-old's work or however old their kid is and they feel like I'm such a good mom or such a good dad that I'm not letting my child experience any pain and I'm staying up late and I'm doing all this for my kid out of love for my child. Now, I do believe that they're trying to come from a loving place. They don't have a bad intention. And really, all people in general are trying the best they can. And our parents and parents in general are trying the best they can to love their kids what they in the way that they think is most right. But that parent, to me, is not doing necessarily what's best for their child because they're only focusing on preventing pain, not actually helping their child grow. And as the book No Drama Discipline talked about, disciplining is not about punishment necessarily, but more about teaching. But we have to look at what are the messages we're sending to the child? What are we teaching that child? Because what actually might be more meaningful 
for your child to experience is the actual consequence of what happens when they don't do their work on time, when they're not being responsible. And they're going to be okay. So maybe you even do help them. I'm not saying there's a recipe that you never help your child, of course. That doesn't make sense. But you want to be aware of your motivation and what you're doing. What's the bigger picture? And this is another big parenting advice that I always give is that as a parent, and really as an individual in general, but especially it comes uh, rings true in parenting, you have to be able to be very present with your children, very aware of what's going on, be with them in the moment, but at the same time, have a big picture view as well, that I'm raising this child to become a, an adult who is going to have lots of characteristics that I think will be good for him or her to be happy, to be healthy, and to be successful in all the good things that I want. So I have to be able to have both perspectives. And again, the pain prevention philosophy focuses more on just the short term, making sure they feel okay, rather than bigger picture types of things. So we have to look at the bigger picture issue. Okay, the child hasn't done their work. Let's talk to them. Let's have a kind of consultation with them about what's going on. Don't just swoop in and think, I have to take away the pain. Think, what is the best thing to do for my child right now? And so it could be, first you want to talk to them, not in a way of judging them. Why didn't you start this earlier? What were you thinking? Why did you procrastinate? If you did this a week ago, you would have been so comfortable and calm. We don't want to get into lecture mode. We don't want to get into judging them and making them feel bad. That's not going to help them or the situation. And because they're already not feeling good, none of your lecture is going to get through to them anyway. Lectures rarely do, but especially if they're not feeling good, it's not going to land and they're not going to hear much of what you have to say anyway. But ask them questions. So, so what happened? And they can tell you what happened or I just didn't start it or whatever it is. But then also ask them, what do you think we should do now? And when you ask them that, it doesn't mean you give them whatever they want, but you want to, one, encourage them to think about things and to use their critical thinking skills to try to come up with something, but also show them you value their opinion and what they have to say and have this consultation, this discussion with them. Make it a dialogue, not a monologue. And see what they say. Maybe they'll say, oh, mom, can you help me do this whole thing tonight? and see what you think feels right. Maybe you'll say, no, I can't help you do the whole thing. I will help you a bit and make sure you get it done or see what you want to do or we'll see how much work it is. Or I can even come with you tomorrow to school if it's hard for you to face your teacher, if they're young enough and maybe need that type of support. But you see what's the best way to go forward. And so you have to remember that your job as a parent isn't just to make sure they don't feel sad in the moment. Because if you do that, you're actually going to hurt them and not allow your child to grow. Another example is your child comes home and says, maybe they're crying, or you can just tell they're very upset, and they say, some of the kids told me I wasn't allowed to play with them and that I should go on the other side of the yard, and I got very sad. Now, parents who come from the pain prevention philosophy of parenting, they're going to do a few different approaches. One is they'll say, well, who cares? Who cares what some kids said? There's so many other kids, and we should never care what people think anyway, so don't worry about it. Don't be sad. Nothing happened. Don't cry. That's one philosophy, so just totally invalidating or taking away the pain. Another approach might be, to, again, to helicopter mode of I'm going to show up to your school, and we're going to talk to those kids or talk to the teachers and tell them that these kids told my son that he can't play with them and they have to punish them and just go into this aggressive mode of trying to take care of the situation in that way, which isn't really going to help your kid either. But those are 
maybe two approaches that come from that type of philosophy that I don't want you to feel pain. The first one is to say it wasn't even a sad event to begin with. You have nothing to be sad about, which is totally invalidating and totally not accurate. When people say this, I sometimes ask them, imagine if you went to a dinner party and you were talking in a conversation and the five people in the conversation all looked at you and said, you know what, we really don't want you to be talking with us anymore. Please go to the other side of the room and tell me that you wouldn't feel anything when this happened, especially if we're saying these were your friends and they did that. So how can we expect a small child to have no reaction and have no feelings to something like that? It isn't really even human to have no feelings to that type of a scenario. So we don't want to just go to that place of, it's very easy to be such a philosopher when we look at other people and say, oh, what other people say doesn't matter. There's many people in the world. You can make other friends, blah, blah, blah. None of that is true. And this goes back to how you need to be present with your child. In that moment, your child feels sad, understandably so. And your job is to validate and empathize what your child is feeling. And the other approach of going in and just trying to punish everyone who might have hurt your child, that doesn't help them either. And it doesn't teach them things like conflict resolution, that they can handle things on their own and a lot of different traits, which I'll get to next. Because to me, the better approach is to first first empathize with your child and recognize that what happened was hurtful. You can understand that and calm them down, make them feel more okay. And then once they're more okay, to now explore, well, what would you like to do? Because this is going to be really important for them. Because very often we think that when a child has had a bad experience with someone, that that's the end of the relationship. Because that's what we as adults do. Working with Iranian families, unfortunately, I've seen so many instances where people come in and they say, oh, you know, I haven't talked to my sister for 25 years because of one fight we had 25 years ago, which maybe who even knows what it was about or if it was a big deal, but that's it. And we very often come from this place that if you have a conflict, that's the end of a relationship, which is really sad because it's not realistic. You can't have a real relationship without conflict. But this also contributes to why people avoid having conflicts in the first place. If we have a fight, if we have a disagreement, you're going to go away. This relationship falls apart. But we don't want to give kids that message. We want to teach them that, you know what, you maybe had this bad interaction. It doesn't mean these kids will be your friends again, because maybe if they're going to treat you bad, you You shouldn't let people treat you bad. You should make other friends, but maybe you can talk to them. Maybe there's something that can be done. And so you talk to your child, explore with them, support them, see what they can do to make the situation better. And this gives them this very strong skill of resilience, that things can happen that I don't like. I don't deny my feelings or avoid them. They were there, but it doesn't mean I'm going to be knocked down forever. And I can handle it myself. I don't need someone else to fix it for me. I can do that myself. Because I've worked with lots of families where uh, their kid will get in a fight and they'll say, oh, well, uh, you know, I texted the other kid's mom and now everything is okay. And I'm like, wait, that's between you and the mom. What about the two kids? We need to have them work things out. We want to give them that opportunity to talk things out and to say how they felt and what happened and to work through the situation. So we have to realize that when we try to just take away pain or take away discomfort from our kids, we don't allow them to grow. And of course, the same is true for us as adults. If we try to avoid every situation that makes us uncomfortable, we're never going to grow. We're never going to become a better version of ourselves if we avoid everything we don't like. Uh, If we're always avoiding the thing that's more difficult, that means we're just going to 
avoid delaying gratification. We're just going to take the instant gratification, which could feel good in the moment, but usually doesn't mean we're going to lead to long-term happiness and success and contentment and fulfillment in our life. So we want to make sure we send that same message to our kids that we don't always do the thing that feels good, not because we like feeling bad, but because we want to do the right thing. And sometimes the right thing doesn't feel very good. Sometimes the hardest thing and the right thing are actually the same thing. You have to have that conversation even though you don't want to. You have to sit down and study even though you'd have a lot more fun being with your friends or doing something else. But when we do the right things for the right reasons, we end up living a more right life and feeling better about the way we're living our life and feel good. So as parents, I also say, don't think your job is to make your kids happy. A lot of times parents think, I have to make my kids happy. Yes, overall, you want to make them feel good and give them a good life. But when you focus on just making them happy, that means that if they're ever sad, you feel like you're doing something wrong and you have to take it away. Your job isn't to take away your child's sad feelings. Your job is to validate and reflect all the feelings that your child will experience, which will be all the emotions that humans can experience. And to be there and make them feel okay for feeling whatever they're feeling, for showing them that even if they are upset or sad or whatever it is, it will pass and you'll be there with them until it does pass, but that they will be okay again. And this resilience will let them know that when I face difficulties, when I face struggles in the future, I don't have to be terrified of them. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to look to someone else to solve it for me. I can handle these feelings because I know they come and they go. And I can also handle this situation because I've done it before and I trust in myself that I can find a way to try to make things better. So if we just focus on avoiding pain, we're not going to help our kids as much as if we allow them to grow. So the pain prevention philosophy of parenting doesn't work. And you should check to see if that's where you're operating from because you're going to take away a lot of opportunities for your child. All right, going into our next commercial break, studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadir Lakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, hi. Thanks for calling. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much for having me. Um, for first of all, I said I, my English not not perfect, but because my question is about my daughter, that's why I want to ask you about it. Okay, my you're doing you're doing just fine, by the way. So don't worry about that. Go ahead. Okay, thank you. My daughter is 18 years old, and she was six years old when we moved to uh, Canada, and right now we are in U.S. Okay, but uh, she she's not with us. She's in the college back in Canada, and. Um, she always there this is she's always asking me about everything and she believes in me and she respects me a lot but another hand she's young and i know she wants to do her own thing mm-hmm. by herself and uh, the the one question she asked me like mm, some days ago she said she wants to if someday she have a boyfriend if she uh, okay, is, is that okay if she want to uh, share some pictures of her and her boyfriend on social media? Mm. Which is, I wasn't agree with her and I totally not fine. And she said, because you're old mommy, you have an old <laughs> mind, that's why you don't like it. I said, no, because I think social media is not for that. And if someday you grown up and you change your mind or you don't want to be a favorite this person, 
everything is there. And if someday you want to, like, you don't want it to tell to anybody, they can have it. And she said, no, it's not like that, and it's not that serious. Um, and the What's the relationship is not that serious, or she said posting something online is not that serious? Yeah, I said if you post the picture of you and your, like, boyfriend yes. on Instagram or Facebook, it's not right. Don't do that, because you're not in the serious position with him. And I don't know, is that, for me, I want to, like, give her some good suggestions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So, um, one good aspect already is that she was talking to you and you guys are having a conversation. And so I would recommend something I, I alluded to earlier today, but you want to make sure what you have with her is a conversation, not a lecture or that you're going to give her just the right advice and that's it. Because yeah. even if you give her, right now, you know, you asked me in a way to tell you, the good advice. If you give her that a good advice, it doesn't mean anything is going to happen or change. But if you have a conversation with her and keep having conversations with her, then you can help her make good decisions for herself because you're not going to make this decision for her. Basically, we know that's not going to happen because even if you want to, I can just let you know she can create a private account or she can block you from the account or she can do a million ways to still post the picture. And so I always tell parents that if you want to try to force your kids to do something, you're only going to hurt your relationship and they probably will do that thing anyway if they want to. So we don't want to take that approach to tell her you cannot do this no matter what or you have to do this or you have to do that. We want to have a conversation. Now, I agree with some of the things you're saying. You know, we do live in this new digital age where anything you post or tweet or write or any picture you put up in a way does become permanent. Even if you take it down, there's a good chance it's still up there somewhere. And so you have to be aware of what you're posting and in general not just because of uh there could be some you know reason down the line you wish you didn't post something i always just tell people in general to think about why you're posting whatever you're posting on social media i'm not saying you shouldn't post things but the motivation just like anything the motivation and intention is very important is it to get attention is it to um, do this to look a certain way to give yourself a certain image or whatever it might be Or is it really just to share something because you want people to know about your life that care about you? There could be lots of different reasons. So we always want to check in with the motivation. And you can even ask her about that. Oh, I'm wondering why do you want to post this picture? Now, you might not like going down that train of thought because you're worried that it's going to make her talk about how much she wants to do it. And then she's going to get excited. And then she'll definitely want to post it. But it'll at least help you understand where she is coming from. Um, As far as the negative impact. Well, one thing I'll say is this. You and her, of course, you are from different generations by definitions. You're her mom. So there's going to be different generations and you're going to have different views on lots of things, especially something like this and especially something new like this. Instagram and social media is a newer thing, but you and her are going to view these things differently and you're coming probably from a more traditional uh, perspective than she is. So the chances that you and her are going to see this exactly eye to eye is almost impossible. It's very unlikely she's going to see it exactly as you do. So I would talk to her about it. To me, her posting a picture online uh, with her boyfriend is not that big of a deal. So I know you're thinking it's going to have some huge negative consequences. It could. Some people might see it a certain way, but that's up to her to decide. Like I said, I would talk to her about it so she hears your perspective and what you're concerned about. But I wouldn't try to scare her too much that this is going to 
hurt your life in the future or something negative is going to happen, you can just let her know that, you know, this is always going to be there. So you have to be aware of that. And we have to be aware from our side that most people who are in a relationship or really feel strong love think that it's going to be forever. So they don't think about the consequences of after. That's why people will tattoo the name of someone and then have to go later to remove that tattoo because they didn't think there would be any reason to remove that tattoo. Um, and they felt very permanent about how they felt. So even if you try to tell her you might break up or this might happen, she might not want to hear that side either. So be ready for all that. Now, I want to hear from you more of what happened in the conversation between you and her. Yeah, the thing that happened, because she's uh, really respect me, and she talked about the, about everything, which I like like to do that. The conversation is comes. she called me and she said, I wish you were like my friend's mom, and I can talk to you about everything. I said, I am, I am your ear. You can talk to me, and I'm not judging you for anything. And she said, e- okay, and if I someday I have a boyfriend, I said, I'm okay, you have to. You, you don't have to, but if you want, you can do it because you're eight. And she said, okay, I, I know your feeling, where it comes from. You don't like it, but if someday I have a boyfriend, I, love, I like to like have his picture in the Facebook or Instagram to show it. I said, for what? If, if, if not the permanent person, when I, like, if not the whole long you, you, you can stay with that person. If it's a one week after you get friends, you don't need to, like, show it or share it. If you're with him after one year, then it's okay. Then it means you have some relationship. Before that, it, don't, it doesn't need to share it. But she said, no, because you don't understand what I mean. Mm-hmm. And then I, I said, okay. Because you don't know, you cannot get my feeling. I'm calling to someone and asking as a, okay. like, a, any any person can help me mm-hmm. to tell you. And she said, okay, then if they're, they're, if they're, are they in your age? I said, kind of. And she said, okay, then they're mine the same as yours. <laughs> okay, that's kind of funny. So she's, are you planning to have her listen to this later or are you going to tell her what I said? I, I really want to tell her what you said. Okay. But, well, yeah, the, but I want well the, reason why, the reason why I want to make sure you, I would rather she listens to it than you tell her what I said is because you might hear what I said in a way that you like more than might be what I actually said. So, uh, no, I write you the recommendation. <laughs> okay. I had a paper and I've All right. Well, that makes but, two of us. I have my paper and pen ready here too. But um, okay. So she's, she's already a little bit suspicious that I'm going to be more from your uh, state of mind or see things <laughs> yeah. more on your side. Which, but I really like to give your number to talk. She can talk. To I would be very happy for her to call. Yeah, she could call in any time and we, we'd, I'd be very happy okay, to this talk. This number is the best number. Is that like, right? Because the, the same number. number this is a studio number. Yeah, no, this is a studio number, yeah. Unless you wanted her, if, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't do therapy um, long distance, and so you said you're calling from further away, so it, I guess this would be the I'm only way. I'm calling from U.S., but I think you're, to find the number in your Facebook page is a different that's, country. That's a- I don't know. Yeah, but the number probably on my Facebook page is my office number. But let's, we can get away from that. But I was saying she can call in here anytime. Uh, uh-huh. We could talk about the situation. But again, you know, you know, you said something like, after one week, it's not okay, but after a year, it is. And so you're basically making the point that for you, it should be a serious relationship, which does make sense. But what you want to do is, she's right, you don't really, she feels like you don't get her. 
And so you want to make the efforts to get her more. If you're, if you make the goal of the conversation for her to do what you want her to do, then it's not really a conversation. It's kind of more of like a debate with a very win-lose type of a mentality. And it's just about trying to convince each other. And you don't really care that much about what she thinks. I don't mean you really don't care. But you don't care in the sense that you don't want it to affect the final decision. So if you go into the conversation thinking, I have to convince her to not post that picture and that's the only thing that matters, you're not going to have a good conversation that's open and back and forth. But if you go into that conversation thinking, I have this preference, you can't lie to yourself, you definitely don't want her to post it, and you can try to understand the why for yourself. I want, I have this preference, but I'm going to want to understand where she's coming from, and I understand that at the end of the day, it's going to be her choice and her decision, and I'm going to have to let her make that choice and decision. Then you can have a conversation with her. So even me right now, I'm not going to tell you she should for sure post it or for sure not post it. I don't think there's anything too black or white. To be honest, I don't see it such a big deal for her to post it depending on what kind of post and what she means by it or what she wants to do. But I would want to understand her more. So that's a very important point. She said, you don't get it or you don't get my feeling. When you hear that, I want you to always think, oh, you're right. I probably won't get your feeling, but I want to understand it more. So explain to me what it means for you and let her tell you. Yeah, the thing is, she 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 said, "Okay, mommy, I'm not doing something to ruin my life and mm-hmm. my future. Yeah. I don't want to do that, but I don't want to share my feelings. That is her point." And I said, "Okay, if you don't want to ruin your life, I'm I'm really happy with. But share your feelings is just for now. If you share with your friends, you don't need to share them like social media. And yeah, that is like." It's kind of, you are right. It's kind of arguing, and I'm, I think you're right. I'm in that position. I, I want to push it. Don't yeah. do it. Right. Yeah, but... And just to but, make you feel better, it won't be ruining her life if she posts a picture with her boyfriend. You might not like it, and, it, you know, that that's fine. But we don't want to get too dramatic either that, again, that'll make you want to convince her so strongly that you won't have a conversation with her. I mean, even the fact that she's asking you, a lot of kids won't ask their parents this kind of a question and they'll probably just do it or they'll post whatever they want or they won't let their parents see their social media to begin with so they'll have no idea what they're posting. So it's nice that she's communicating with you and that's what I want you to focus on is that you're responsible not for the actions she's going to take but for the relationship you have with her. That's in your control and much more in your control than what she does because what she does is going to be up to her. So you want to talk to her, and even you, I would say I, I I really appreciate that you come to me and tell me these things and talk to me, and I want to be there for you whenever you want to talk to me about things. And she doesn't have to tell you everything. I mean, you know, she's a, becoming a woman, and she's going to have her own life and, and will keep things to herself, and that makes sense to have that uh, distance in that way. But it's good that she wants to come to you and consult about things. And that shows even that maybe she's not sure about it. Now, was it that she wasn't sure about it or she thought she had to get your approval? All right. Yeah. Yeah. She kind of, she wants my approval because if something happened in the end, she wants to point at me. Okay. Says, okay. You said do it or you said don't do it. And that's why you don't want to make it that way. Not just to let yourself off the hook. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying it like I want you to do this so you don't get in trouble, but we want to give her the responsibility for her actions. 
because right. it's going to teach her how to make more decisions and to deal with the consequences later. But we don't want her to do it because you said she can or not do it because you said she can't. Because then either way, you might get, you know, she, she won't get to learn from it and it'll just become something that gets in the way. And that's even why, as a therapist, we don't tell people do this or you can't do that because it doesn't give the the client the chance to really grow and experience and yeah they'll come back and say oh you told me to break up with my boyfriend it was the worst thing that ever happened to me and blah 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 and now they don't even get to live their own life and all the blame and responsibility of their life gets put on someone else so i think it's great you take it as a consultation as a discussion when she comes to you not mom i'm coming to you to make this decision for me and maybe that pattern is already there in your relationship do you feel that with her that she comes to you to make the decision for her Sometimes okay. she wanted me to make a decision and she forced me to tell her, but I'm denying, I'm trying to deny and then say, okay, it's your decision. Mm-hmm. In my point, this is not right, but it's up to you. Okay. But if you have any problem, always I'm here. Yeah. Just think about it. Okay. Yeah. Now you have to be aware of when you say how strongly you, if she's saying, I want you to make the decision and you say, this is my opinion, she might take that as you making the decision. So you have to be aware of how you bring that up to her but this is another aspect i want you to be aware of is that if she feels like she needs you to make decisions for her it's very possible in the past you have done that or you have done that too much and so we want to be aware of shifting more of that decision making to her which as much as you're saying she wants me to do that there might be a big part of you that also wants to be able to make the decisions because you're afraid of what she might choose if you don't make the decisions for her Right. Yeah, I, I'm trying to like uh, transfer. Yes. All everything. That to her. Transfer of power. Yeah, kind of how we have here <laughs> in the United States after an election. Yes, we have to transfer the power of her life from you to her, because right. yeah. because she has to make the decisions and live with the consequences and see that she can make the decisions and she can figure it out and she doesn't need you. So we don't want her to need you. It's nice that she wants to talk to you, but if she needs to talk to you. That itself is a problem, but a lot of times the parent won't see it as a problem because you're getting something out of it or you even helped create this dynamic. So we want to be aware of that aspect of things. And that's why I was saying that, you know, tell me everything. No, she doesn't have to tell you everything. She can tell you anything she wants to talk about, but definitely she's not supposed to tell you everything that happens in her life because she's her own person and she's an adult. And so she needs to have that space to have her own mental physical emotional space so be aware of that dynamic that's going on too because i always tell parents they think i have to figure out what to tell my kids to do and much more often it's actually about focusing on the relationship because that's what you can control and have an effect on but what they choose to do that's not for you to decide to begin with and you really can't control it anyway all right yeah thank you so much sure for your time and I let her know to, she can talk to you. Yes, but, I'd be more than yeah. happy to talk to her. Yes. That's perfect. Thank you so much My and have pleasure. a great day. Thank you. You too. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Going into our next commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi, Dr. Fai. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thanks um, for calling. Uh, first of all, uh, sorry, my English is not good to speak, That's but I right. can understand you completely. <laughs> You're doing all right. Go ahead. Thank you. Uh, my question is about uh, my uh, problem with my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, we have problem, um, non-stop problem, but uh, the big uh, problem is uh, when we have problem together, um, he try to 
involved my 13 years old daughter to uh, come to uh, our problem and fight and he tried to destroy me uh, in front of my daughter hmm. um uh, do, do you have uh, obviously that's not going to be good uh, and I want to obviously get to that just wanted to know if you have any other children uh, one only one that's not okay so when you guys have arguments he'll pull her into the argument and then talk bad to you to her or try to convince her that he's right and you're wrong exactly he's uh, always trying to uh, bring someone in uh, in our argument and uh, prove himself Mm-hmm. Uh, even before my daughter, uh, we lived in Iran uh, for two years, and um, uh, he tried to call my parents or uh, call my uh, brother in office and try to um, uh, say about our our problem uh-huh. and fight. And uh, he tried to, um, um, you know, prove himself. Okay. Now, of course. I don't think there's anyone that's going to disagree with doing those things. Of course, I'm only hearing your side as well, and I, I'm aware of that. But just as a general rule, we don't want to involve other people. Involving children is an absolute no-no. We never want to do that um, for so many reasons, but they don't. They can't handle it. It's going to hurt them. It's hurtful in many ways. It makes them feel responsible for your problems. It makes them feel like they have to keep their own feelings aside they feel like they have to take sides it's just horrible but really bringing anyone involved into any discussion is not okay unless both partners feel okay with it now i think in general we shouldn't bring other people involved in lots of iranian families we get all the in-laws involved and make it a whole family affair and that's not healthy or good but sometimes if we're having a fight and things keep coming up we might together go to one person of course the ideal is you go to a therapist together but you both go together. But one person contacting someone else, that's not okay. Um, so what do you have a question about this, or what did you... Yes, yes. Uh, do you, uh, he's not uh, the person who come to uh, therapy. Yeah. He doesn't believe the problem. Do, can you uh, suggest any book uh, for hmm. uh, parenting or to bring up this, uh, especially this problem? Well, uh, let me ask you this first. I'm, I'm sure you bring this up with him. What have you done and what have you guys talked about related to this issue? He, he doesn't believe. He, say, he said um, she can understand more than you. So she, okay. she, has, to, uh, she has to know about you, how that's evil a, you are. How what you are? Evil. 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 Oh, gosh. Okay, mm-hmm. that's really bad. So things are in a bad place, clearly, if he's talking about you in that way. And, of course... Um, I'm not okay with that at all. It's all very bad. But since I'm talking to you, I will give you some feedback or things that come to my mind. Now, it could just be that he's going to be nasty no matter what. But one thing I was thinking, as you said, he brings your daughter into it. He brings uh, family members into it, is that it might seem like, at least for him, he feels like he's not being listened to by you or that you're not hearing him. And so he's getting... We don't understand each other. We are from uh, two different planets. <laughs> okay, that's a problem. Yeah. Okay. That's the problem. Yeah. So you don't. What do you mean by you don't understand each other? Um, I'm trying, but um, um, we don't understand. He, he absolutely don't know me, and um, the big uh, his big problem is he's uh, alcoholic. Okay, that is a big problem. 
Yeah. How how bad is his the, the alcoholism? Um, he he said he uh, he's not, but um, according to, to the uh, you know, uh, I uh, he drink every night, mm-hmm. every night. So he must be alcoholic. Okay. And, and when uh, when he they did he uh, he come from work, he did uh, when he uh, don't drink he ha- has bad mood when, uh, and when he drinks he has uh, other bad mood. You, you I don't know wha- wha- how to explain that. Okay. Well, uh, it seems like no matter what he's not in a good mood. Um, yes. And and yes. I'm assuming based on what you said about his reaction to therapy, he doesn't accept that he has a drinking problem or that he needs any help. Exactly, exactly. Okay. He said, um, I'm not, I can uh, uh, leave it any time I want. Uh, I can quit uh, drinking yeah. and this is not my habit. But I, uh, obviously, it's, um, it's uh, his problem. Yeah, okay. So, um, I know you haven't brought this up and I don't want to bring it up as a suggestion, but I'm wondering, have you guys talked about divorce at all? Does, does that ever come into the picture? Um, uh, I uh, re- really uh, think about that, but the problem is my daughter is a lonely child, and she is very, very um, um, sensitive about the divorce. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, actually, the last fi- fight we had with each other, uh, I, um, uh, I I'm trying to be quiet. But when my daughter goes to school uh, in the morning, I uh, try to call him and say this is not good and. Uh, the last time I said uh, this is not working and I'm going to uh, file the divorce and uh, uh, that's it. And uh, the night uh, he came home and uh, he tried to shout and said, uh, bring my daughter and said, uh, uh, your mom wanted to leave you, that, that's something like that. And, uh, well, but you never said anything about leaving her, you just said divorce. Divorce, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, no, no. No, I understand. Never. I understand, yeah. Um, so when he tells her you're evil, other than this, which is very mean to say that you want to leave her um, when you've never said that, that's that's horrible. I mean, just um, using your daughter as a pawn in a battle to try to win. But how else? what else does he tell her about you? I'm sorry, what I else does your husband tell your daughter about you? Said he makes me look bad or tries to say I'm evil. Uh, he said uh, he uh, she uh, she doesn't do anything and she I don't have job. That's my problem. Okay, is that part of why you don't want to get divorced? Um, no, actually, um, some this is the one part of the uh, problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yes, uh, from uh, financially, I cannot uh, support myself without him. Okay. Well, I mean, uh, of course, if you get divorced, he would be responsible for that, but that's a different situation. I, I would hope you guys can try to work on things. The problem is uh, working on things means both people have to be willing to work, and it doesn't seem like he is open to that. Do you go to your own therapy to try to w- help yourself or work on those things from your side? Uh, if I go uh, alone, is it working? Well, it depends on your definition of working. I'm not saying it's going to solve your marriage issues necessarily. It could have an effect, but also will help you deal with everything you're dealing with and make make a decision or decide what to do. Because the way you're describing things, unfortunately, doesn't seem like things are going to get better. They might just get worse. Um, and again, I don't want to make any suggestion of divorce, but I want you to just 
when you think about it, of course, your daughter, rarely does a kid hear about divorce and get happy unless things are so bad. Now, maybe years later, they'll say, I'm, I, I'm happy my parents got divorced because I realized how bad things were. But almost always, if you add, ask kids, do you want your parents to get divorced? They rarely will say yes. Yeah, so, yeah. He, he is, uh, she, is, um, she has imagination from divorce that uh, I cannot, uh, uh, you know, uh, support her, he, her uh, and um, she, he, she should go with his, uh, her father. Yeah. And uh, I should move to Iran. That's the, her. Um, Where did she get that from? From him? I don't know. Okay. Maybe. Well, you can talk to her about that, but um, again, you know, the chances that she's going to be excited about you guys getting divorced or happy about it is is very low. So, and I'm not making that suggestion, but I don't want you to say that's why I'm not going to, because that's what you're almost always going to get from them. So, um, you know, with your husband, yes, of course, these things we know are very clear. You don't involve other people, but especially the children should be, not only should the children be left out of it, if we have any intense arguments we want to have it when the kids aren't around at all because even just that exactly. anger and aggression has an effect on them and doesn't make them feel good in the home. But especially pulling them into it is just very toxic and has huge negative impacts. And I want you to think about that too, that if he is not willing to work on things, work on the marriage, work on himself, um, this is having a very toxic effect on your daughter. So I know you're worried that the divorce is going to be hard on her, and of course it will be difficult, but just be aware of the negativity and the negative effects of what's happening staying in the marriage. So we always have to weigh both. Neither one of them look like very good options right now. You're choosing between bad and worse. Now you have to figure out which one is bad and which one is worse, but it doesn't seem like any of your options look very nice and easy and fun and um, exactly. good so you have to choose between two bad choices it seems like but um just be aware of it's very negative what you're telling me of him pulling her in and saying these types of things to her are really going to be hurtful and the way you're describing him i know i'm only hearing your side because i don't know how he would describe things um it would be very different what do you think he would say if i was to talk to him what would he say is going on he said uh, he is um uh, you know he's a person and um, his word is white or black. Uh -huh. He he he's um, he has very uh, uh, you know uh, this trick. Uh, I, I cannot. <laughs> no, you're doing all right. But I understand that he uh, sees things very black and white. Exactly. Okay. Uh, so if uh, he came came home and see a dot in the uh, you know counter, he he said. Uh, the house is uh, not clean, uh -huh. you know? Yeah. So he's uh, hard to keep happy. Um, exactly. Yeah, okay. And, and maybe uh, some OCPD. What does he do? Also, what does he do for a profession? Uh, he's an um, uh, engineer. Uh -huh. uh, he, uh, he Actually, he changed his job um, 15 years we married. He, he changed his job about actually seven eight times mm -hmm. and now he has a part-time job and uh, mm, uh, he works as a consultant okay but um uh, you know um, most of the job he cannot uh, uh, he couldn't uh, to uh, uh, make a good relationship between uh, his uh, uh, boss and himself mm -hmm. and, he, and he always said 
this is the problem. He always said they are jealous at me. Je- yeah. The boss is jealous at me. He, he wants, he think he, he, I'm going to um, kick him and I'm going to be... He, he, um, like, know, yeah, I'm going to take his job or something like that. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, yeah. you know... Um, he, yeah, the way you're describing him, it's always someone else's fault, not his fault. And so obviously exactly. with you, he does that same thing. And that makes it very hard, unfortunately, for you guys to work on things because he doesn't see himself at all as being part of the problem ever. It's always you. So he's not going to go get help or ask for any kind of help. And, and he's just going to keep blaming you for it. That makes it very hard uh, to be really hopeful that things will get better, unfortunately, because he's just going to see things through that lens and that'll make it hard for you to feel good about it that he he will want to make a change so you're in a tough choice or a tough situation um how is his relationship like uh, or what is his relationship like with your daughter good okay. uh, that, uh, good he's um he, he he always wanted uh, she she is she she be uh, the best student she actually the, the, the one of the problem is if she has a B in the school she she crying and she can mm. come to me and say please don't say to um, father I have uh, some um, bad grade at school and um, he always wants to be her she she wants to be the best you know yeah that's, that's a problem. problem I mean you know striving for greatness trying to be good for the right reasons is good but what you're talking about is not that it's um be good out of fear of not being perfect and fear of being a failure yes. bad. that's not yes. he, uh, good at all t- think, uh, it is, this is the end of the world if she has uh, yeah. 83 yeah that's a problem uh, school. that that does concern uh, me so i know you're saying they have a good relationship but maybe they do in some other ways but this aspect is very much hurting her too that he's trying to uh, you know he's trying to make her happy with um, you know that that's the rule of the, uh, our house. Any student can uh, get gets anything she wants. Okay, and uh, every time she has she is uh, a uh, she, she has uh, a and uh, he he try to please her with um, buying something um, she he, she likes. Well, that's you know, the, having rewards and things, part of that can be okay. But the problem is when you say a students gets this. Almost it also sounds like A students get love, and if you don't get an A, you don't get loved. And that's a problem. Exactly. That's my exactly. concern is that every student, every child deserves to be loved. Now we can set up rewards and consequences and all that. That can be okay within limits, but every child needs to feel loved. And I don't get the feeling she feels loved just for being her. She has to achieve something. She has to be perfect or she's nothing. And that's that's really concerning. So... I think a lot of what you're telling me is that this family situation is not okay and you can find yourself stuck in this for the rest of your life, but I hope something will change. Either you will change things you know, working uh, with him I, uh, or change the situation and that it could even be divorced, but we can't let things continue the way they are. You know, uh, the, I, the, I did, uh, your father always said, be blind, be deaf, be uh when you do, you you cannot change anything. If and you want to be, um, you want to uh, continue. Mm-hmm. I uh, did this tr- strategy, but now I'm uh, done. Well, usually, you know, it usually doesn't work for a long time. If depending on what we're being blind to, you know, we can be blind to something more insignificant but if it's really hurting us and then especially if it's hurting your child you can't be you shouldn't be blind to something hurting your child 
you can say I'm going to accept something myself. I still don't like usually that strategy long term because very often we think we can't change something, but we can. But in the case where it's actually hurting your child, I don't. We don't want you to be blind to that. You can't be blind. That's not being a loving mother to be blind to your child being hurt in some way that's very damaging to them. So he doesn't think he's he's hurting her. I'm not asking he, if he's he, thinking. He, that. Exactly. I'm asking exactly. you what you think, and if I mean, it, based on the reality, if what you're telling me is true, this is hurting him by making her feel this way, and of course, how uh, he's acting in the arguments, and also him being, uh, you're saying alcoholic, and if he's drunk and being home, that's obviously not going to be good either. So, uh, these things are are problems. You have to realize them. You have to make a decision. I'm not telling you he's harming her, but I'm just based on what you're telling me. If you ask him, you already know what he's going to tell you. He's going to say, I'm a good dad. I do everything I can. I provide for her, all these things. Maybe he does. I'm only hearing your side of things. But what I'm saying is if you see that she is being hurt by this dynamic and what's happening, it's up to you to make some kind of change, whatever that is. And you're responsible to make a change. And I also want you to realize that not making a change is still making a choice. Because very often people think, well, if I don't do anything, that means I didn't do anything. But no, if I walk by a pool and a four-year-old boy is drowning in the pool and I just I see the boy and I walk by, I can't say I didn't do anything. In almost some way, you can say I killed that child because I didn't jump in to save them. So we have to make sure we don't take inaction and let that be our decision. And we have to make something change. Because the way I hear you and the way I describe what you're saying it's possible you'll find yourself in the same situation five years later and nothing will have changed, just things got worse. So I want you to recognize you have to make something change. Again, I'm not going to say you have to get divorced, but at least something has to change from how things are now. And I know you know that because you see what's happening to your daughter, but make sure you do something and you recognize you do have the power to make something change. Um, so tr- ter- going to therapy myself maybe work for uh, I mean that's not going to be enough from what you're telling me I was just saying to help you and help you make a decision if he's not willing to go but I'm not I don't think if you tell me I'm going to go to therapy and everything's going to be okay I would say no again I'm only hearing your side so maybe you're contributing so much to what's going on that it's going to make a huge change but to me that doesn't seem enough from what you're telling me you know it's like um, someone broke four leg uh, four limbs and they're saying, what if I put something on one finger? Will that help? Yes. But is it going to take care of what's going on? No, there's too much damage right now. So I don't think just you going to therapy alone is going to, is going to fix enough based on if he really is an alcoholic and doesn't want to change anything. It doesn't seem likely that's going to be enough. So yes, you can take that as a first step just to help you deal with all the emotional stress you're dealing with and to help you make a decision. But don't think that, well, if I start therapy, I don't have to do anything else. That's enough. Because it doesn't sound like that's enough. And again, don't ignore the pain and damage that's being done to your daughter. Don't ignore that. You can't and you won't feel good about it. And when she gets older, even she'll be mad at you for letting it continue the way it did. So it's up to you to take some kind of action to not let it continue. I understand. Yeah. Okay, thank you for calling. Good luck. It's not going to be easy, but thanks for calling. Good luck. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, going into our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. With the last caller, 
one of the topics, there's many that came up, but one that I wanted to talk about to conclude the show was this idea that inaction is still a choice or not making a change is still a choice. So every day we decide to be in the same situation, we're choosing to be there. And I know that change is hard and it's very easy from the outside to just look at someone or look at someone's life and say, hey, you should do this or you should make a change. So I get that it's a lot easier said than done to make a change, especially a big change in our life. So I don't want to make that seem like it's something easy. But I do want us to remember the responsibility we have for whatever is going on in our life and that when we keep things the same, that's a choice. Inaction is a choice. Not doing anything is a choice. If you can help and you choose not to help, that's a choice. If you stay in the same bad marriage day after day, you're still choosing to be in that marriage every day. Even though no one is literally asking you, but by your actions, you're making a choice, or in this case, by your inaction, you are making a choice. So we want to be aware of that and think about in our life, where is it that I am assuming I can't change anything or allowing things to continue and due to my inaction, choosing to stay in some state. And very often we think we don't have a choice. We think, well, there's nothing I can do about the situation. But we, there are some cases where that's going to be true, of course, but very often we do this as a way of avoiding the discomfort of making the change. With the last caller, obviously, whatever she decides to do does seem like it'll be difficult. But let's just say in general, when it comes to getting a divorce, of course, that's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be difficult. Finding a lawyer, doing the paperwork, going through the process, going through the separation, leaving a home, maybe finding a new home, the stigma, whatever else it might be. There's a lot that goes into it. So I can understand that someone wants to avoid that many times or will avoid that. But we don't want to let those discomforts make the decision for us. Because something is uncomfortable, I won't choose to do the right thing. So a lot of times we'll tell ourselves we don't have a choice when we actually do. But what we really mean is I don't want to take that choice or I don't want to have to face that choice and the consequences that will come when I go forward in that direction. So we have to be very mindful of that. Do I actually have no power in this situation? Or am I also in this way choosing to say I have no power because that allows me to stay comfortable and stay in this situation? And that word comfortable can sound very misleading because usually we think of comfort as something that feels good. But in this case, we mean comfortable even if we're miserable, but choosing to stay in the same place and not face some unknown. I'd rather face the devil I know than the devil I don't know. I'd rather stay unhappy in my job even though I'm miserable and every day come in here not looking forward to it, let's say, rather than quitting and going out there and seeing what happens because we don't know what's going to happen. And that unknown is scary. So I'd rather not face that unknown and face all the consequences of having to quit my job, maybe not making money for a while and all the other anxieties that come with it. So I'll stay where I'm at. But we have to recognize I'm choosing to stay there. I'm not powerless. I'm making a decision based on my inaction to stay in this uncomfortable state. And then especially as was the case with the, the caller, sometimes our inaction is affecting someone else. So if you're a parent in a bad marriage and there is a toxic relationship going on, well, then your kids are being exposed to that toxicity and you are in that way responsible for it. So 
let's say your partner is the one that's creating all the drama and the trauma. It might not be you that's creating that pain, but if you are continuing the relationship, you are definitely playing a part and are responsible in that way for the pain that is being inflicted on your children. And so many times you'll see an adult and they'll say, you know, my dad was this way or my mom was this way. And sometimes they'll say, you know what, my mom or my dad, they were just like kind of crazy or I just accepted they were that way. But the other parent is the one they're even more hurt by. You know, mom, you knew that what dad was doing was not okay, but you stayed in that marriage and didn't end it, or you never said anything about what was going on. That can sometimes hurt even more. It reminds me of that Martin Luther King Jr. quote of in the end, uh, we'll remember more the silence of our friends than the words of our enemies. And it is actually Martin Luther King Day on Monday, so uh, it's kind of appropriate that that quote fits right now. But this idea that sometimes when we already accept, okay, this person is hurting me, this person is going to make me feel bad or, or do things that damage me, but the person that I thought had my back, the person I thought was my loved one, my friend, how did they do nothing? That can hurt even more. So be aware as a parent that when you're staying in a relationship, even if you feel like, I am not making a choice because I'm already married, but every day you're choosing to stay in it. And I by no means am trying to promote divorce on my show or in this segment, but want people to be aware of the choice they are making. And what I always recommend is not just jump quickly to divorce, but work on the marriage first. Don't stay together for the kids, work together for the kids, meaning work on the relationship together to make things better first. Try everything you can to see if you can make things work, Go to your own therapy, go to couples therapy, take the kids to therapy if you have to, but make every effort you can first to make it work. But if it doesn't work out, don't think that by staying together, you in one way are not doing anything because you're just continuing what was already happening or that you're not making a choice because absolutely you are. And yes, in extreme cases and usually not in marriage type cases, but it can be the situation, but there are things that we sometimes can't change and in that case, uh, Viktor Frankl would talk about this in a way of the last thing that no one could take away from us is how I feel about a situation or how I respond to it. So sometimes we do have to turn a blind eye to certain things if we can't change it, or we do have to try to just tolerate what is happening and accept it. Right now in Los Angeles, it's raining. You can't change that it's raining. Um, Farhuda, who's here in the studio, said she actually loves the rain, and, and many people do. It can be quite nice. Um, but let's say if you don't like the rain, you can't change that it's raining or not. So you can't curse at the rain and say it's not, it shouldn't be raining or I don't want it to rain. But you can respond to it in a different way. You can take an umbrella, you can stay inside, you can do whatever it is that feels good to you. But sometimes we can't change things. We can only change the way that we respond to them or how we feel about them. And that sometimes is the only choice that we have. And that's in one extreme. Yes, the rain you can't stop, but your marriage, you have more control and say over it than you think. And as I mentioned to the last caller, if you ask your kids about divorce, first of all, you shouldn't ask them because I don't think they should get involved in making that decision. You can in a way talk to them about it. Um, and if they're maybe much older, yes. But if you talk to a young child, a five-year-old, you're almost never going to hear that, yes, I want my parents to get a divorce unless things are so bad that they want 
to be away from one or both parents or have things change. But you're almost never going to get that response. And I've worked with people that said, yeah, my mom asked me when I was eight if I should get divorced, if, if my parents should get divorced. And I said, no, because I didn't want to deal with what was going on. But now when I look back, I'm like, why did she ask me? She was the adult. She needed to make the decision. She understood what was going on. And she knew that, of course, it's going to be difficult and I wouldn't like it, but that it was going to be better in the long term, in the long run. And it's not always the case, but sometimes parents, I think, even ask their kids because they know that'll give them an excuse to stay. Well, you know, I wanted to get a divorce, but I asked my two kids and they said, no, they don't want us to get a divorce. So because of them, them I'm staying. But really, we almost know they're going to say no. And so we ask them to give us a way out because we're looking for an excuse to stay. And then we can blame it on them and also make ourselves feel good as a parent that I did it for the kids or I did what the kids wanted. But really, we knew that they would say no. And we asked them to give us a way out of not having to face the difficulty of getting a divorce and making that change. So again, my point in having this segment was not to promote divorces because I don't think that's the solution. Sometimes it is the last thing that's available, but make it the last option. Make sure you work on things for the kids. Make sure you try everything you can first, but don't just accept the situation and say this is what it is and not make any efforts. That inaction is definitely a choice and a decision that you're making and essentially you're choosing there's pain, there's toxicity in this home, but I'm just not going to do anything about it. It's like if there was carbon monoxide in your home and it's being released and it's slowly choking you and your kids and you say, well, I'm not going to do anything about it because it's already here. No, you have to take action if it's a physical threat, but you also have to take action if it's an emotional threat that is affecting your kids and your family. And that option might be first getting help, but eventually there might not be any other choice but ending the marriage. You have to be aware of all the options you have and do everything you can to make the best of that bad situation. All right, to end the show on that note, I also wanted to announce the book of the week again. It's Yuval Noah Harari, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. And about the show next Monday or this coming Monday, won't have a live show because of the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. But I'll be with you next Wednesday where I'll talk about that book and answering your calls. Thank you to Amir who is here in the studio to start the show and Farhud who is here to wrap it up. And all the callers and listeners out there, you've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dawakwi. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.